This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 107 of Go To Grandma, originally airing on Zoomer Radio on Saturday, August the 26th. I'm your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth, or should that be your went-to grandma, as this week I'm going to take you cruising with me all the way to the Norwegian fjords aboard the Cunard Queen Victoria. What can you expect on a cruise today, and what should you look forward to in particular on a Cunard ship? I speak to some key personnel on board to get the inside scoop. I did this trip solo, as many older women travelers are doing. When Evelyn Hannon started Journey Woman almost 30 years ago, her sole intent was to make female solo travelers comfortable and confident as they moved about the world. While sadly Evelyn passed away a few years ago, the legacy of Journey Woman lives on to the benefit of us. Today, Tanzilla Khan from Journey Woman is going to share with us her experience with solo accessible travel. What are some of the biggest restrictions? Sharing is something we do with our kids, and there's nothing we share more with them than our home and other assets. Today on our Take 5 with RBC interview, Royal Trust joins me to talk about estate planning for families with young children or grandchildren. So ahoy me mateys as we set sail for another episode of Go To Grandma, filled with fun and facts today's grandparents need to know. We're all aboard with Cunard's Queen Victoria, next. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sail with Cunard on board their Queen Victoria ship. Our journey took us to the beautiful Norwegian fjords out of Southampton, England, and back again. This was my second Cunard voyage, the first being about six years ago, when I did their signature transatlantic crossing from Southampton to New York. Yes, that's right, the Titanic route. In fact, on board that time was the grandson of the violinist from the Titanic, who shared some great stories. And great stories are what happens on and about Cunard ships. Unlike other cruise lines, they pride themselves on the cultural and intellectual experiences they bring to their guests, as well, of course, the terrific land excursions in the ports where they dock. But many people are still hesitant to cruise at this time, so I took the opportunity to speak with the hotel manager, Neil Coleman, to inquire about their health and safety measures. So we have a housekeeping team that then moves around the ship every hour, and all frequently touched surfaces are sanitized, and we use medical grade and disinfectant when, when disinfecting the vessel. Our, our Lido buffet area, um, which is your main area where you'll see a lot of congestion of um, congregation of guests for breakfast and lunch. We change out all the utensils every 30 minutes to ensure that, you know, the frequently touched um, mm-hmm. things are, are being able to be taken out. So when it comes to sort of any functions or any group things, we don't do anything within the first 48 hours, any large group gatherings, so cocktail parties and that have been removed for the first 48 hours. So that then gives uh, the doctor and myself and the rest of the the team an understanding of what's happening on board, Mm -hmm. if there's anything that's coming out of the woodworks within the first 48 hours. And then, of course, we also heavily rely on our bedroom stewards and our restaurant staff to identify sort of any guests that have COVID-like symptoms or flu-like symptoms. And then what we do is we will report that to the medical center and they'll reach out to the guests as a courtesy just to see how they're doing, if there's anything that they can sort of help them with, you know, with the symptoms that they're having. So it wouldn't be necessarily someone that's just had one little cough. Right. It's someone that's, you know, got a very hoarse cough, you know, looking really mm-hmm. down and things like that. So, so that's what we sort of ask them to look out for and identify. And then the medical centre will then take it from there with a courtesy call to sort of see where we are. 
But what about those onboard speakers and entertainment? From evening shows to silent discos, yes, of course I tried that, to sports, string quartets, and comedians, there is something for everyone. Entertainment director Michael Harvey explained to me how they put the schedule together. So I've been watching your morning show every day where you let us all know all of the things that are going on on board. How long have you been doing that for? So I've been at sea for about 15 years. Oh, wow. um, I come from Canada. Me too. <laughs> I'm a Saskatchewan born and raised. Oh, awesome. Yeah, uh, but I live in Calgary now. Okay. Um, so I've been at sea for about 15 years and uh, I've been uh, in charge of the entertainment department here at Cunard for the last five here on board uh, Queen Victoria. But I move around. Uh, all three wonderful ships in our fleet. Oh, you do? Oh, so that's interesting. Um, do you find that there's a different sort of tone or theme with, within the different ships? It changes not only on uh, each ship, but also on the itinerary and the time of year. There, mm -hmm. there are always a, a unique and diverse group of guests that sail on board that, that set the tone for the voyage, and that's how we tailor our entertainment. So the activities and the entertainment that you plan is, as you say, is based a lot around the itinerary. So more family-focused things, I suppose, on this one versus the November transatlantic crossing. Sure, yeah. We look in advance uh, at the demographics that are going to be joining. We start voyage planning uh, up to six weeks in advance, and we start looking at uh, who's going to be joining us and where they come from. The length of our voyage uh, is it cold weather is it tropical we take in we account for a lot of different factors when it comes to voyage planning and then that helps us set the foundation for how we're going to plan that particular voyage and so the activities that you plan in your words how would you say that the cunard activities set your cruise line apart from other cruise lines we have invested in a lot of unique activities that you would only find here and things that you would probably have to pay for on land. You know, every cruise line offers a quiz and a game show mm -hmm. and karaoke, right? But at Cunard, you can find exclusive events such as foil fencing, uh, Zumba Gold, um, Zumba, a lot of dance fitness and movement classes, uh, dedicated ballroom dance classes that are free every day with uh, world-renowned instructors. The speaker series. Insights Lecture Program, yeah. uh, where we have uh, often famous faces on board, captains of industry, scientists, uh, doctors, anyone with an interesting story to tell, uh, which we also do look at well in advance of the voyage of where we are sailing to try to deliver enrichment-based programming based on the part of the world in which we're sailing to enhance and enrich that itinerary to give you that experience of where we're sailing mm -hmm. on the ship as well. Um, what about your speakers? Do you approach them? Do you work through a speakers network? How does that come together? There's an array of channels mm -hmm. in which we source our speakers um, that does range from, like you mentioned, sometimes we reach out if we uh, notice somebody or see someone that would be a particularly, uh, that would fit well on a particular sailing. Uh, we do have a number of agencies that mm -hmm. we source through okay. as well. We have a whole booking team shoreside that work full time on our Insights Lecture program and our Guest Entertainer program. So, uh, you know, an entire wing is dedicated to sourcing the right entertainment to the right speakers for a voyage. But half of the experience of this type of cruise is being off the ship and on the land excursions. I had the opportunity to see the glaciers in Solden, take a skylift in Olden, and explore the city of Hagasand via a professional walking tour. Excursions are offered when you book your cruise, and you are well advised to book in advance. I spoke with Shore Experiences Manager Laura Pothicary about how they select their third-party tour providers. Laura, I've had the opportunity to experience quite a few excursions this week, and they've all been wonderful. So I have to ask you, 
How do you decide what to include as one of your excursions? Where do you start? We have a whole shore excursions operator shoreside in our head office and they look at the voyages and the ports that we're going to and then uh, they look at what could be good for our clientele and then they tell us and then we start from there mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, then I also look at what we who we have on board as well and then I I kind of know what would sell quite well and what the guests would like so then we also make new tours that way and do you uh, test them in a sense you test drive the, the we excursions? absolutely do yeah. yes we have people shoreside to do that okay so they are told about the tours what the tours are and then everybody in our head office can go to that place and do the tours test run it and do the tour guides know that you're test running them sometimes sometimes <laughs> <laughs> not all the time That's because so we also go on all of the tours so i have a full team on board and if they're new tours, which like we've had in Norway and Denmark, we every single one of us will go on the tour and we'll different ones and we'll experience it. And then we'll also decide if they are good enough for us and mm-hmm. what we think. So. And the pricing is set by Cunard, I assume? That's you by work? the local operator and they give their price to our head office and then our head office do that price. What if um, there is a tour provider in a certain uh, locale and they want to become a Cunard uh, provider? Is there an application process? Yeah, yeah. exactly that. So they contact our head office again and uh, they barter for it, really. Mm -hmm. In a lot of these ports, there's a lot of tour operators. So they go with the one who has the best product for us, really. In Alaska, as an example, we have 16 operators in each port and some of these operators just do two tours. They do the same type of tours, but we pick the one that is best for us and for our guests as well. For a full itinerary of the stops we made, my tips on how to cruise smartly and efficiently, plus some packing tips when the cruise includes two gala nights and has an excellent gym on board, visit kathybuckworth.com. For more information on Cunard Voyages, visit cunard.com. This was a press trip, but opinions and editorial are my own. Tanzila Khan is an entrepreneur, activist, and public speaker and delivers sessions on various topics such as unleashing creativity, overcoming barriers, and inclusion within businesses. She has delivered her expertise across 19 countries through various workshops and training sessions and collaborations. She has received the Amal Clooney Award from King Charles for her services and now frequently writes about accessible travel for Journeywoman. Good morning, Tanzila. Thanks so much for being a part of GoToGrandma this morning. Assalamualaikum. Thank you so much for having me. So you are a contributor to Journey Woman, which I knew actually Evelyn Hannon very well, who was the founder of that, and now Carolyn Ray, who owns it. And you are a contributor on the accessible travel side. More interestingly, on the solo accessible traveling side. So what is the role of accessible traveling in your life, Tanzila? I think uh, one thing I've learned from my traveling is that being a solo accessible traveler and being someone who's part of a group or who's following a certain guideline, both these experiences are very different. I'll give an example. A more planned, organized group, the guides are always always going to take you to places that are accessible and they're meant to be because many governments make their touristic places more accessible to attract more tourists. But a solo traveler like myself, I don't follow those groups or those guidelines. I just pick up my rucksack and just reach a certain airport and leave the airport, letting the path be my guide, actually. So in that way, you discover the actual reality of a city and what that culture is and how they respond to members of the society that need accessibility. So in my way, it's more adventurous, actually. It's adventure tenfold. 
Yeah, it's so interesting what you say in terms of a, if you're in a group, they're going to make sure that you're taken care of, but you're not really experiencing that true country's sort of vision for accessibility, are you? Absolutely, because in that way, you're just seeing what they want you to see. Mm-hmm. And I don't obviously mean that in a negative way. I mean, every country wants to highlight their landmarks and everything. But I know for a fact that every country has more to offer, more to offer in terms of their culture, their people. So it's very important. And I think it's a basic human right of everyone to be able to access the streets and the stories and the street food and all of that. And I want to take ownership of that and then make everybody realize and Journey Women is an excellent platform to do that through. So you are a wheelchair user. So what kinds of serious challenges have you faced, if any, when you're solo traveling? So I'm also a wheelchair user and I'm also a Muslim. And being a female coming from a background that has always been really conservative, I, I can't have a lot of options to myself in terms of food. I have to really look for halal food. And just just for the listeners, that halal food is like a specific sort of slaughtering of meat. And other than that, we Muslims can't have anything else. We can have vegetarian, but no other meat. So even looking for a particular meal is a challenge. And then looking for accessible bathrooms is a challenge. And then sometimes you need a certain space to pray. But at the same time, I would say the world has been so kind that it always makes space for me. Even if I'm in a very remote village of Laos, for instance, the world has been so kind. And that's my message to everybody, that there is no fear. When, even if you're on a wheelchair like myself, there is so much that the world offers and you can just make your way as you go along. It's so inspiring because I know a lot of our listeners are facing some mobility issues themselves. So it's it's so inspiring to hear your story about how you've been able to get around that and get through it. Yes, absolutely. And, and I find so much kindness. And otherwise, if I just continue reading books and watching films, mm-hmm. that would give me a good perspective. But if I don't get out there and experience it for myself, how will I generate my own memories and my own perspective on the world? So my baseline is that the world is kind, but now I'm in a position where I'm more into giving. So if I travel to a particular place, I want to talk to the local people about accessibility and disability and welcome them into my world as well, which by the way, is of disability, but it's not a negative space. It's inspiring. It's adventurous in its own way. So we all have something to take and something to offer. So you're obviously doing your part, but how do you think we can create a difference in society when it comes to working with people who have mobility or accessibility issues? I think, first of all, the basic question that anything that you're working on, just the question that can someone with any disability, for example, you have like a platform of... uh, communication. So that that could be a challenge for people who have hearing impairment or visual impairment or intellectual impairment to access these platforms. So just a baseline question about do we have these spaces accessible for that audience? And the second part is to have conversations around these areas. Disability is very nuanced and disability is also something that everybody experiences, whether it's an injury, whether it's old age. I just happen to be someone who has it permanently because of a problem, because of a medical condition. But the more we talk about it, the more we accept it, it becomes less of a taboo. And then it translates into products and services that everybody can utilize. I'm so inspired by this. And of course, if we want to read about what you're doing, we can go to journeywoman.com and look up TenzilaCon. And I read in your bio here that you also have an award-winning menstrual health care startup in Pakistan. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Of course, of course. So before I was doing all this traveling, I had a very nice public speaking career. I was working with different organizations, and I thought I had I had it all. Like I have. I've sorted myself, but then I started my period one day while I was going to a meeting, and I realized that I don't have access to a sanitary napkin because the shops in Lahore are not accessible, and I can only get it if I ask someone to get it for me. And that's what I realized was a great breach of my privacy and something that's very close to me. I'm okay to talk about it, but sometimes I'm not okay to talk about it. So this service came into hap- uh, came into being to deliver these sanitary napkins for those in remote areas that don't have to involve anybody. Can just directly order and be delivered to them in discreet ways. So taking care of the cultural aspect as well, but we have to take care of women that bleed and <laughs> make sure that they have access to sanitary napkins. So that's how girly things happened. That's great. I mean, and you're absolutely right. You know, we don't think about some of these things before we travel to countries that we don't know very well. That's true. And that actually reminds me of a really funny situation. I was, I think, in, in Croatia and I again started my period on the road. I don't know why it happened. <laughs> Maybe a lot of hormonal challenges. But <laughs> Figures, right? I'm yeah. it. And, and I went to a random shop and I said, hey, can I have a sentry napkin? And they said, yes, we've got peanuts in the back. And I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) And then a woman came in and she said, oh, I've got you. And then she helped me find the right thing. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) That's wonderful. I know you also created a, you're part of a board game company in Sweden. You just do everything, Tenzel. I'm so impressed. I think every time I feel that there's a problem that I experience and I know there are going to be other people, I just go ahead and create a solution. I love doing that. And I realized that board game is a great way to just talk about disabilities. So I designed this board game and hopefully it will be out soon. And I would love to send you a copy so that you can play it and then share your experience as well. I am a board game fan, so I look forward to that. If we want to know more about Tanzilla, again, we can go to journeywoman.com and look up her articles under Tanzilla-Con or you can go to Twitter where she also is or Instagram, IamTanzilla.com and Facebook. Thank you so much for your time today. You're most welcome. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you. As Vice President of the Professional Practice and Tax Group at RBC Royal Trust, Tracy Wu leads the technical, legal, and tax expertise for trust and estate matters, as well as a team of in-house accounting and tax professionals. Good morning, Tracy. Thanks so much for being on GoToGrandma this morning. Thank you for having me. So, Tracy, one of the biggest concerns for parents with young children is who would take care of them if we happen to become incapable or die prematurely. We don't like to think about it, but as parents, we have a duty to protect them and provide for them. That's why it's so important that you appoint a guardian to act as a custodian for young children in your will, should the unexpected happen. The reality is, without a valid will outlining your decisions on who cares for your children, in the unfortunate circumstance where both parents have passed away, other friends and family members would have to apply to court for custody. In addition to ensuring that you have named a guardian, what can parents do from an estate planning perspective to ensure their children are properly cared for in accordance with their wishes? So in order to ensure children are properly cared for, should the unthinkable happen, it's important for parents to not only name a guardian to care for the children, but also to ensure they spend some time picking the appropriate person to assume this role. When choosing a guardian, The person named doesn't have to be a family member or relative, although grandparents and siblings are often named. Now, one of the key factors to consider in choosing the right guardian is the potential guardian's parenting style and values. A parent will want to consider whether the candidate has similar values to their own, as well as similar parenting ideology. Another factor to consider is where the guardian lives and whether the minor children would have to move far away from their friends, 
their school, or neighborhood during an already incredibly difficult and unsettling time. And if the children are very young, consider the length of time the children would be under the guardian's care. Does the person have the time and energy to run after several toddlers for the next five years, for example? And finally, when the guardian of choice has been selected, it's important to consult them and ensure they are on board with the appointment and this big responsibility. Now, when it comes to the financial side of things, it's important to note that parents are not automatically given the right to handle the minor children's inheritance. In Ontario, for example, without a testamentary trust established in one's will, someone would generally have to apply to court to obtain guardianship of the minor child's inheritance. Otherwise, these assets would have to be paid into court. So can you elaborate on how a testamentary trust works, and is this the best way to ensure the children are provided for? Sure. A testamentary trust is simply a trust that is created as a consequence of one's death. The terms of the trust are generally established in one's will. And when it comes to providing for minor children through such a trust, a parent can appoint one or more trustees in their will to manage their minor children's funds and on their behalf and in accordance with any terms and conditions the parent wants with respect to the management and distribution of those funds to their children. Establishing a testamentary trust for one's minor children is generally the best way to ensure they're provided for financially should their parents pass away. As mentioned earlier, where no trust has been established, the minor children's inheritance could end up being paid into court and held by the court with limited access by the child or their custodian until the child reaches the age of majority. The other alternative in these situations, where no trust has been created, is that an individual, such as the surviving parent or grandparent, could apply to court to become guardian of the child's inheritance following the parent's death. Now, not only would this be an expensive and lengthy process, but once appointed, the guardian would need to provide an accounting to the court on a periodic basis and potentially obtain their permission to carry out certain activities. Once the child reaches the age of majority, they receive the full inheritance, no matter how large, which as most parents would agree, isn't always ideal. Now, these issues can be avoided with proper estate planning, And in this regard, settling a testamentary trust for one's minor children would give the parent control over who manages the funds they've set aside for their child, as well as control over when and how much they are paid through the years, without any involvement of the court or any other government body. What are some of the drawbacks of trusts? When it comes to drawbacks, it's important to note that there are ongoing tax and reporting responsibilities associated with operating the trust beyond just managing funds for the children and the trustee appointed would have to understand and ensure compliance with these obligations. Another drawback of a trust is that income generated in the testamentary trust is taxed at the top marginal rate. There are ways to potentially minimize this negative tax effect, and I'd recommend speaking to a qualified tax lawyer to discuss. And depending on the terms and conditions the parent wants set out, a trust can be relatively simple and cost-efficient to set up and administer, or on the flip side, it can be incredibly expensive, complex, and difficult. For this reason, it's important to consult a qualified trust lawyer to ensure the parent's wishes are feasible and properly reflected in the terms of the testamentary trust. And finally, if the children in question are very young, the trust could potentially be in existence for a very long time. A drawback in this instance is that it can be difficult to find a qualified person able and willing to act as trustee for such a long period. In these circumstances, the parent may want to consider appointing a trust company to act as trustee. 
Thank you so much for this information, Tracy. And if we want to look up more ourselves, we can go to rbc.com slash Royal Trust. Thank you, Kathy. Traveling shouldn't just be a tour. It should be a tale. Admit Kalantri. I found this quote in a menu on board the Queen Victoria. And really, isn't that what traveling is all about? The experience and the stories that we bring back with us, along with about 1,200 photos and videos on our smartphones, of course. If you want to see more of mine from my trip, just sail on over to my Instagram account, which is Kathy Buckworth, of course. Thanks to Cunard for a dream trip and one I know I will remember for a long time. I can't wait to start my next Cunard journey around the world in 111 days on the new Queen Anne. As they say in England, it'd be rude not to. Next week on GoToGrandma, I'm going to be speaking with Carrie Hills, who is a scleroderma patient and advocate. What's scleroderma? You're not alone if you don't know, and Carrie is going to shed some light on this chronic and incurable disease and offer some advice on what it's like to live with. And we are going to hear about the Grandma and Grandpa Adventure Series, a series of books from DC Publishing and how they support the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa. We want to protect our children as much as possible. And on our next Take 5 with RBC interview, we talk about the guardianship of children. Should something happen to us while we still have minor children in our care? An important and insightful discussion. Thanks again for coming on board GoToGrandma this week. I hope you're enjoying listening to Season 3 as much as I'm enjoying putting it together and interviewing such insightful and interesting people. And if you like Season 3 so far, please go back and find Seasons 1 and 2 anywhere you find your podcasts. I'm your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.